It was a few weeks ago, and I was out making a visit to one of our members, and I know that the region here has a lot of shortcuts, and going from point A to B, there's more than one way to, to arrive at one's destination, and I ended up on an unpaved road about a lane and a fourth wide. I was going downhill, and I saw a sign saying, Road Closed Ahead. And up ahead, I saw a utility truck, a roadblock. I had to back up the hill in order to turn the car around. There was a mountain to the right of my car <laughs> and a rushing body of water to my left. This was the week where this region had a whole lot of rain. All between me and the water were reflector posts, not even really a fence, just those reflector posts. But a roadblock was ahead. Roadblock, a thing that keeps you and me from moving forward. Roadblocks, we're going to see a few of those in Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 13. Jesus and his disciples are in a gathering of people. Verse 13, then some children were brought to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Children brought by parents, we assume. Persons obviously see that Jesus can impact the lives of these children, and for Jesus to, to place a hand... We've seen in these kingdom encounters throughout our time in Matthew that Jesus wasn't afraid to place a hand even on a leper to, to bring healing. We've seen that in these crazy quarantine times, how some really miss a handshake or an embrace. And for Jesus to pray for these children, wow, who, who better? Who better than the Son of God to intercede for one of these children? Well, the disciples, they step in to take charge of the situation, to, to assert their presence. They mean well. And in Mark's account of this event, in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, we read that the people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. A reminder, what, what does the word rebuke mean? Well, rebuke means to warn or to forbid to express sharp disapproval. Why? Well, maybe the disciples were trying to protect Jesus' time and energy. Maybe they were trying to deflect. That's a, a word in this, in this current age. Maybe they were trying to deflect those persons, big or little, who didn't seem important to them. How does Jesus respond? Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Don't hinder them from coming to me. Don't be a roadblock. Don't be a hindrance. Help them. Assist them. How, how should one come to Jesus? How should one approach the kingdom of heaven? We saw this back in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless you are converted, converted to twist, to change direction, 
to turn, unless you become like a child, become, literally that means to begin to be, to become, like a child, like a child under training. And contrary to what makes sense to us, salvation and self-reliance do not go hand in hand. Salvation and self-reliance do not go hand in hand. Conversion is a turn in the road of our lives. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples that entering the kingdom of heaven requires a turning from personal ambition, personal agenda, personal sufficiency, personal plans, a personal quest for significance. And Jesus says in chapter 19, verse 14, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. When something belongs, what does that look like? If one belongs, one is a part, all in, all, all together. Actually, the word for belong in the original language is the same word as to be. So in Matthew 19, verse 14, it could read, For the kingdom of heaven is such as these. We are his people. We are the kingdom here on earth. We are the kingdom of heaven that others see. Are we roadblocks, or do we point to access to the kingdom? To those coming after me, do I have a tendency to be a roadblock? We want all people to come to the kingdom, but we don't want them to come to Jesus and to the kingdom in spite of us. We want to, to be part of the access for them to, to come to the kingdom. We don't want to be a barrier. We don't want to be a roadblock. Well, in verse 16, someone comes to Jesus and, and says, Teacher, what, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And that's a capital O for one. There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. The rich man's question the one who comes to Jesus, he asks, what good thing shall I do? And then the man asks Jesus, after Jesus replies, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. The man says to Jesus, well, which commandments? Which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is Jesus being a legalist? Is Jesus like the scribes and the Pharisees of whom we've read about during these kingdom encounters? Is he like them demanding that the man stick to the letter of the law? Well, we've got to keep reading. Verse 20, the young man says to Jesus, All these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? It's not Jesus who is the legalist here. It's the young man. Look again at the rich man's question. What good thing shall I do? All these things I've, I've kept, I've, I've done, what am I lacking? You see, this rich young man wants to make sure he's checked all the boxes. To the rich young man, it's not really about devotion. 
It's about marking through the list. He's trying to justify his own worth by his own merits. To the rich man, it's all about the rich man. <laughs> so Jesus lets him play this out to the end. Jesus says to the, to the man there in verse 21, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. If you wish to be complete. Complete. Boy, boy, that sounds nice, doesn't it? If you wish to be whole, then get rid of those things that fill your mind, heart, and life with anxiety. Get rid of those things. Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Become unburdened and, and free. Become unburdened and free to follow me. Again, to the man, it's about the doing. To Jesus, it's about the devotion. Come, follow me. What did Jesus say back in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me and I will give you rest. In verse 22, the rich young man hears this statement. And Matthew tells us that he goes away grieving. He goes away grieving for he was one who owned much property. The roadblock for this young, wealthy man. What is keeping him from coming to Jesus? His stuff. His stuff. Do any of you like stuff? I love stuff. I, I've come to the realization that I love to hoard guitar stuff and music stuff. And from time to time, it's healthy to do an esteem check. An esteem check. Do, do I get more of my identity and value by doing this thing or having that thing or being a part of whatever? Or am I content to rest and boast in the sufficiency of my relationship with Jesus? Does something have its hooks in me? Does anything have its hooks in you? In verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's a comparison using mysterious language that seems illogical. It's a comparison that presents a picture of ultimate futility. The, the disciples hear this, and they are very astonished. And they say, then who can be saved? Astonishment. I would imagine for Matthew to state this, that's fairly significant. With all that the disciples have seen thus far with the miracles, the healings, the feedings of the crowds, for Matthew to use the phrase, to say the phrase, very astonished, that's significant. <laughs> The disciples' response, who can be saved? We all look at things of value, no doubt. I mean, I'm able to tell the difference between uh, an electric guitar that costs $100 and, and one that's valued at, at five grand. Jesus is trying to show to them and to us that our sense of self-worth should be based on how we 
value Jesus, how we know him, our value of spiritual esteem cannot be measured by our wealth, by what we own. And looking at them, in verse 26, Jesus said to the disciples, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We've seen this before. Do you remember at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke when Gabriel visits Mary with the news that she will be carrying the Son of God? She asks an extremely logical question. Mary asks the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answers and says to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. God is the one who can perform the miracle of this heart surgery in terms of the healing from sin. Jesus' question to the rich young man, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, the one who can change a person's understanding of access to the kingdom of heaven. It's not what we do. It's about what the one has done for us. If the Son of God can be born of a virgin, the Son of God in his goodness, because he's good, can take our sins to the cross and give us access to the kingdom of heaven. In verse 27, Peter says to Jesus, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? <laughs> we can count on Peter to, to cut right to the heart. He gets to the heart of it. There's nothing veiled about Peter's main concern here. In verse 28, Jesus says to them, he, he says, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is a real head-scratcher. There, there will come a day, there will come a day when the kingdom of heaven will come. The kingdom of heaven will come and will be realized in all glory and all power. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John is given a vision of the coming kingdom of heaven. John shares, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
we read that one of the angels comes to John and says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Uh, the bride, we're talking about the church here. John continues there in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. And the angel carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. This is the final time that these twelve disciples, the apostles, are mentioned in Scripture. The very next chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, is the final chapter in the Bible. There's a lot we don't understand, but there will come a day when we will see in full. Jesus says this in the last two verses of the account today. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. We've seen this picture of greatness in the kingdom before. Jesus mentions houses and brothers and sisters, father, mother, children, farms. These are all good, beneficial things. These are all sources of blessing. All sources of blessing. Question, did the blessings of wealth and property help to, to point the rich young man's level of devotion to Christ? Or were his blessings of wealth and property, did they end up being roadblocks? Did they become roadblocks? If one of my children is filling the call of the Holy Spirit to go to the mission field, will I strive to point him or her to seek the call of Christ, to hear his voice? Or will my worries and fears be a source of discouragement? Will my worries and fears become manifested as a guilt trip? Will my preferences and desires ultimately be a roadblock for my child wanting to follow the call of Christ? Jesus is saying, the one who is willing to put aside these potential roadblocks into their proper perspective and become dependent on me, dependent on me for access to the kingdom of heaven, will inherit eternal life. Today, we've seen some various roadblocks, barriers in coming to Jesus. With the children, it was the disciples themselves. With the rich man, it was his wealth. With the disciples, it was their feelings of entitlement. What about you and me? In the same way that Jesus championed those children coming to him, back in verse 13, we have the Son of God interceding for us. Aren't we glad? What is keeping you from coming to Jesus? Is your stuff a roadblock? Maybe it's not houses or lands or guitars. 
maybe you're not hoarding physical stuff. Maybe it's stuff, maybe it's baggage that you've held on to for longer than you realize. Maybe those things have held you captive for years. Those hard feelings, those burdens from which Jesus has promised to give us rest and relief. What are your roadblocks?